All right, you guys ready? We're going to fly this morning because there is a ton of information uh, that we're going to go through. All right, let let me first start by reading um, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and then we're going to break it down. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, hundredfold. All right, long scripture. And I'll go ahead and tell you, this is going to be a longer sermon than, than normal. Uh, and so we'll, we'll go a little bit longer than what your normal pace pace is. Um, I, I thought about breaking it down into two different sermons, but we're going to, we're going to just go ahead and plow, plow in and plow through to where you have just the entire context and application uh, today. Um, so let's, let's jump in there at the beginning. Um, Verse 1 says, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And um, the, uh, the, the context here says basically this was a boat, not a ship. So it was a smaller, smaller boat here, maybe a rowboat, probably a boat that, that uh, larger ships were tied and moored out further. They're anchored out, and this is the one that they'd come in on into the beach. And so, uh, so he jumped on, on one of these and, and went out. Um, I think it's interesting. There's a, uh, the, the, the details, right, even that right there, of that it was a, a boat, not a ship, and, and some of the things just that you find in the original language, I think point again to why the book of Mark um, was the eyewitness of Peter. Um, and if you had, hadn't been around for a while, the, uh, Mark, it's, it's not his eyewitness, but he's the one who recorded recorded things. And most likely it was Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He's giving us a little bit of details that a fisherman would know. Um, 
But before, in some other stories, the boat was a way of he, that we, he escaped. Now this boat is going to become a pulpit. And so he gets out in this boat. We're not sure how far out he went. Probably not very far. Uh, probably just, just a little bit out to where then the people gathered along the shore. We had something like this happen, except in reverse, uh, just a few weeks ago, we had a, a youth lake retreat uh, for about three days, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, represent, I see you back there. Uh, it was a fantastic time that we had there. And Jeremy Rose, uh, one of the uh, pastors that we, we've helped and supported in Nashville, Tennessee, um, he came down with his family, and he was the one who did the teaching and the leading uh, that week, as well as other sojourn leaders. And uh, he did the flip of this um, right on the boat dock. He stood on the boat dock and had all the kids jump in the water. And they had to tread water for 45... No, they didn't. Um, they, had, uh, they had their jackets on or floating in floaties and, and, and rafts and, and, uh, uh, while he preached to them. And I don't know if you've been in a pool or in a lake uh, and somebody's on the other side of the pool. Well, if you're standing up maybe on, on the top of the pool and you're just kind of yelling, yelling across uh, there, um, the, the waves, um, I mean, the, the sound waves, will, they'll travel across the, the water. It's even better if you're, if you're treading water, maybe you're, you're a few feet out from somebody and, and you're just, just about at, neck, at the neck here and you're talking to somebody, it's even better. It just, it just bounces and gets, gets to their ears. And that's, uh, Jesus has done this. Uh, there's some other times um, that, uh, that he's been in a place where acoustically it was perfect for him to, to preach to, uh, to many people, sometimes tens, hundreds, even thousands uh, at a time, and so maybe that helps you out a little bit with, uh, with some of the thoughts of like, how did he preach to thousands of people at certain times? And, and that's part of it. Is he was smart with the, the acoustics. Verse two says he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, "Listen, all right, turn to the person next to you, say, listen, all right." He he uh, he was being emphatic in saying this. He's he was saying you need to listen to what. Is next now. Obviously, if you say something to somebody, or if you're standing up here and teaching, um, you intend for the person to, to to hear what you have to say. But normally, when a person says, "Now listen to what I have to say next," or "Pay attention," or "Or hang with me," you know things like that, that you'll hear me say is there's something that I want you to catch right there. He is pointing out there's something big, very big, that they need to catch, and what he's going to say next. And so I say to you guys, listen. Listen to what God has to say next. Um, Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell among the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up, choked it, and and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What I want to do is I want to I give you some information about parables and the big picture about this. And then in a moment, we're going we're gonna to break down the actual parable because he breaks it down and starts to explain it. Uh, first of all, a couple things just about parables. Here's something that... D.A. Carson, kind of a guy that we call a, one of our professors, an adjunct prof here at, at our church. Um, one of the things that he says, he says, we must always remember a parable is not the same as an allegory. And allegories are very rarely used in the Bible. 
Um, in an allegory, every detail has some spiritual significance. Whereas in a parable, much of the detail may not be important. It's the story as a whole which conveys the message. Right? Um, so he's about to give you this, this parable where you just want to take... It's big picture. Take a look at it. You can get in trouble with parables if you start picking little bitty things out and trying to construct an entire doctrine or theology based on something just within a parable. Although a parable is always going to support the, the big pictures and, and the, the, the doctrine and the theology of, of uh, God, um, it's important not to get caught up in things that maybe are harder to support from the rest of Scripture. Um, so you've got a, a typical scene in, in, in Palestine and the countryside of the way that, that things were planted. Uh, it's a, in a field where there's a worn path that, that goes through it. So just think about that, a big field, and there's kind of a road, a walk path uh, that's in the middle of it, and you have these different parts of, uh, of the soil that are there. Um, sowing usually occurred during late fall or early winter, about October to December. Uh, it was in the rainy season. And they looked for sprouting to occur about April or May and then to have a harvest in June. Um, the sower usually would have an apron, a big big apron, and have his seeds in it. And just kind of walk along hold, holding the apron and just kind of would, would sow the seeds, you know, holding it and just kind of broadcasting it out. How, how many of y'all, you've, uh, you've done this either with a garden or uh, maybe you're adding, you know, you're... Half your grass is dead, and so you're like, I need to reseed, throw some more out. And you've done it with your hand. How many of you guys, you've done that, right? Um, there's, there's, some, uh, there's some really um, inefficient ways of going about doing that. And I've found, I think, every one of them. Uh, because if you don't do it right, you'll just have this little spurt uh, right here, and you get a little line of grass later on, but then a big, big thing where it's, it's uh, bare you know, and so you got to, uh, my mom finally taught me, he's like, all right, Dave, you're so dumb. Let me help you out. I love you. She didn't call me dumb. I know she's thinking that. And so one of the ways to do it is you kind of can grab it in your hand and allow there to be a little bit, little bit of opening between your f- fingers and kind of shake back and forth and kind of walk like this. And so usually you can get about four feet this way and four feet this way. And you just kind of, you just kind of roll with it like that. Um, uh, I'm not sure exactly how they did it back then, but it was something uh, about like that. So inevitably, as they would do that, and they just kind of threw it on the ground, some of it was going to land on the the path that people would walk. Others would land where there's a bunch of rocks, where there's a bunch of weeds, where there's a bunch of thorns, and some would land where uh, where it's very fertile. Um, Last night, uh, actually today is my mom's birthday. Everybody say happy birthday, mom. Okay, she's not here. She didn't hear you, but I'll tell her later on. Um, uh, but we, uh, we had a, a, birth, a, a birthday dinner last night, um, took her out to dinner and had some other extended family uh, that were with us. And um, with it, I had two of my uncles were there as well as my mom. Uh, and I, 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 one, I was talking with uh, mom and my Uncle Danny. And uh, Uncle Danny owns... Um, Anybody know where Buck's Pocket is and that uh, park that's up there? Have, have you ever, come on, anybody else Buck's Pocket? All right, thanks. All right, have you ever looked up from Buck's Pocket and the, on one side, I'm not sure which direction it is, there's a house, a farmhouse that's up there. Has anybody ever seen that? Anybody? Next time you're there, look up and you'll see it. It's actually, you'll only see part of it because a tornado ripped part of it away and they don't live in it anymore. They built another place behind it. 
But he's got about 100 acres of land up there. He's got another 100 acres or so somewhere else. He's got a bunch of cattle up there. Um, and uh, he will always plant a huge garden. And I was talking to him and talking to my mom. And I said, all right, talk to me about growing up. Mom and dad, uh, excuse me, mom and her 11 brothers. Yes, that's right. Mom and her 11 brothers. She's the only girl. Lord bless her. Um, uh, she grew up on a farm. And so they, primarily, they, they picked cotton. Um, I know, uh, Phil, you grew up, did you, did you grow up on the farm as well? All right, okay. So you can probably remember some of the, some of the, the cotton picking and stuff. Um, and so she told me since I was a kid, but I was like, tell me a little bit more about what, what took place. And they, they gave me a bunch of different stories, too many for me to be able to fit in today. But I know mom, um, she talked about how the cotton uh, in, in the, the different fields, if it was a rise, kind of a hill in the area, that it would not grow as tall and it would not grow uh, as bountiful um, because the water would run off of that so it didn't have access to as much water and the nutrients would also wash down as well. The lower parts flip that. And she called it something. And I'm, I'm going to have to find out what it was, but um, it, it was just this great little country word that she called it because um, uh, she said the cotton would grow over their heads in, in the little valley areas, in, in the dips, because the water, the nutrients would all go to that. And so y'all have seen this. I mean, you've been places where you can see, all right, that's, that's obviously that, that, that tree or that part of the orchard or, or that part of the garden is doing very well. Um, and uh, the others, are, it's more fertile soil. And uh, so you see this, and it's very, very true. Um, as we apply these things, because we can see it uh, around around us. Um, other illustrations, been some really neat stories. I, I might find a place to, to insert this one illustration about corn, which is amazing. If I don't, you can ask me later on, and I'll be glad to, to tell you. It's pretty pretty powerful. But uh, the uh, the rocky ground in Palestine, it basically, when when we talk about it, it's that there was a limestone base that was right underneath the soil. And so there was lots of rocks. Uh, the thorns that are talked about in here, um, Palestinian weeds uh, like these thorns can grow up to six feet tall and they have major root systems. And that's important because they grow up and they're healthy. Unfortunately, they're very, very tall and strong themselves. But it's the root system. The root system is what's, what's key and how it chokes other things out. Um, Jesus said in here, he said, let those who have ears to hear, let him hear. You, you need to know this, that as we get to some of the, the difficult portion, which we're about to jump into, that means, I mean, Jesus is saying that some people don't have ears to hear. Some people are deaf. And then he's also saying there are people that do have ears to hear. And so part of the question is, how does a person get to where they can hear? Or why does a person not hear? The, the big point uh, in this that we're going to see is God is sovereign and he is the one behind all aha moments about himself. And we'll go a little bit deeper in that in a minute. But he's saying, if you can hear, listen up, if you can hear. This whole story is an illustration. He's illustrating how people actually hear the voice of God and they end up responding. And it's interesting because it... It's a double play because in it, he's actually giving the word of God. And there's some that will believe and some that will not. Just like even in here or listening to this 
in the future on a podcast. There's some that, man, they're just, you eat it up. So there's like, all right, I believe that, but I've got difficulties. And others are like, that's a bunch of crap. I don't believe that at all. I'm here because my friend invited me or whatever, but, but I don't believe the Bible. I, I don't believe this Jesus stuff. Um, so he illustrated that even in what he was doing. So uh, let's jump into this, this uh, difficult section here. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret and the king of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He's actually quoting from Isaiah in this. Um, and this is a very, very difficult part of Scripture where you have Jesus himself saying um, that there are certain things hidden so that people would not repent. And that's, that's difficult, you guys. It's, uh, it's hard to, uh, to wrestle with that because that sounds like judgment. And I would propose to you that that is what it is. That there, because judgment that takes place after, but also judgment uh, that takes place even right here on earth... Um, is something that comes from God. And it's something that, that if you believe in this, this sweet fairy God, you know, that he's, be, he's behind everything of your, your, your smallest to your biggest desires, and if you just rub the lamp hard enough, he's going to give you what you think. That's not the God of the Bible. This is a God that should be feared if you're on the wrong side of him. If you're a child of his, he's someone to be revered. But no, you do not control, you do not control God. We'll come back to that in just a little while. He is a God who is sovereign over the understanding of himself. It's a hard truth. But the clear reality is that God can only be revealed by God. The real God. The actual God. We all have our own thoughts, especially before surrender to Christ. And even Afterward, when you're a Christian, we, 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 uh, we wrestle with things of logic and reason. Well, if I did it, I'd do it this way or this way. We wrestle with these things. But it's only when God shows up and He opens our eyes and opens our ears and frees us to actually respond to Him and reveals Himself to us that we actually see the real God. Otherwise, it's the God that we paint. And you know what He looks like? He looks like you. He looks like your, your logic and your reason. And Christians, we must fight this and, and recognize when you butt up against a truth, when you butt up against something like, why would God ordain that? Why would He allow that? Why did He do this? That you need to know that if God does everything that you think He should do, He is not God. You are. You need to wrestle with that. You need, uh, you need to, I believe, reach the same conclusion that un- understanding God is, is kind of like a, a turtle on a fence post. If you're walking along and see a turtle on a fence post, you know that he didn't get there by himself. Understanding who God really is, is the same way. Only God himself is going to really do it. And in verse 11, it says, it has been given, it's been granted to you. It's, it's a gift when God reveals Himself to you. When He gives you the ears to hear, that's a gift. And, and I would say, if any of you, you're an unbeliever, 
You're one that you've never surrendered, but, but you reach a place today or in the near future or in the, or in the long future that's ahead of you. You come to a place, you're like, huh, I, I'm, I'm listening to things differently. I'm seeing things a little bit differently. God has done a change in your heart. And you need to thank him for that and you need to respond. He's giving you the ears to hear, listen to him, and respond to him. Now we're going to come back again to some of this in a little while. Verse 13, let's press forward. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Um, and I'm, I'm, I mentioned already, it's, it's just interesting again that as Jesus was speaking, he is actually sowing. <laughs> he's sowing seeds as he's talking. And there's hearers that are there and those that are responding and those that are not responding. And that in and of itself kind of backs up the whole point of understanding must come from God. Because if there was ever a great preacher or a greatest preacher, certainly it would be Jesus, God the Son. If there's anybody that's going to get the maximum ratio of people that convert, certainly it would be Jesus. So was Jesus a failure as a preacher? Why didn't some respond? It's because God, God was the one that brought understanding to some. So again, if, if you're on the side of the fence where you have surrendered to Jesus Christ, I would challenge you today, if you never said, God, I give you credit for my salvation. I give you credit for my understanding and for my hearing. Today, you need to do that. Because if you haven't, then in some sort of a way, you basically have said, well, it was, it was up to me and I'm the one. I'm the one, and I, I, I did it. I, I, I chose God, and God's the one. He's the one that must do that work in us. And we fall on our faces and say, God, thank you so much, because I could not have done it, and you were gracious to me. So let's look at the interpretation of this. Verse 14, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, now listen, Jesus explains it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. All right, now let's dig in. There's two primary interpretations of, of what Jesus is saying here and, and what it has, what it means. Uh, uh, the first interpretation is that among these four Because the soils represent people, right? Among these soils or among these people, only one are saved. And the three other three are lost. The other interpretation is is that there are three that are saved, but only one has specific fruit of multiplication, right? Um, And I told you all before, I'm I'm, I'm straddling this because, because, uh, man, I see incredible truths in both of the interpretations uh, that are here. Um, my leaning is actually in the, the latter, that, uh, that it has more to do with ultimately sanctification and uh, growth uh, and struggle that takes place in the heart of those that are believers with one that's an, a big rejecter. But both have big potency in, in, uh, in the interpretation. 
Um, so let's, let's look at the first one where the interpretation would be there's only one who's saved. Only one is saved out of there, all right? So you've got the path. Those, the, that's, the, the seeds are sown along the path. This is someone that it's a total rejection of their mind, of their heart, of their body, and of their affections, complete and utter. And, and, and that's going to remain true in both of these interpretations, is it's total rejection of mind, heart, body, and affections. Uh, the Rocky, though, uh, let's talk about the Rocky. Um, I've been a Christian for 34 years. I've been, a, I've been doing ministry for over 20 years uh, with lo- I mean, lots of time or even vocationally. I've been a pastor for 13 years. One of the saddest things in the Christian life, and those of y'all who've been Christian for, for decades, you, you've seen this, um, is those that respond to the message of Jesus Christ. They get excited. They spring up, but they don't last. And you just wonder what's, what's going on. And some, some men, some women, some students, I mean, they're incredibly sharp. They may be influential people in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your city. It may be a famous person that you hear that they've converted, that they've become, become a Christian. And you put your credibility on the line for them. And you say, man, man, wow. It's okay. Now that that person is saved, man, the city, the city's going to change the whole world. I mean, it's done. That's the tipping point was that, that one person. Um, it's happened to me in the youth group that I grew up in. Um, Growing up uh, happens in churches, too. After a big camp, a big retreat, or a big, God just does a big movement within a church, within a a youth group, a big evangelistic event that someone or someones, they kind of, they pop up. They spring up fast. There's enthusiasm. There's charisma that's there. Maybe they have a magnetic personality, or maybe they have influence among others that are around them. Maybe it is that they've just got... They may not, may not be all that magnetic in their personality, but their story is so compelling. And they, they get a platform for their story or for who they are. And after a while, they're gone. They pop up. And then they're MIA, missing in action. It's, it's so disappointing. Now, guys, we're not to be cynical. Um, this is something that happens, but we need to be prudent in knowing that these kind of things happen. And, and so, I mean, what do you do? What do you do when, when something happens like that? And, and I mean, I'm just, I've been encapsulating in just about two or three minutes of description, but it, it actually it lasts weeks or months and all that, and you've invested in relationships, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, it's this divorce that takes place, and you feel betrayed, and oh, what do, what do I do now? What, what do we do with that? And, and what we can do many times is we, we start putting up the walls, it's, it's like, it's like we don't trust. You see, maybe you see somebody with a compelling story or somebody that they're just thrilled. Maybe someone who's a brand new Christian. They've just gotten baptized or, or at least, I mean, that's, that's what it looks like the story is. And we can become cynical. And we can stand back and just say, well, all right. When you're around about six months or, or a year, then, then I'll engage and I'll, you know, I'll get to know you then. But until then, man, forget about it. You know, I'm not investing in you. I've been burned. That is not the way to respond. We're to take the risk. We're to engage and to love people. And, and I'd even say give people opportunities to, to tell their stories. Give people the opportunity to fail. 
Because we all fail. And so, do you do a lot of things differently with these kind of people? No. The main thing, though, is you don't disengage. Rather, you engage. And, and you go ahead and... Because you are going to be disappointed in life. But Jesus brings grace uh, to, to be able to, to walk, through, walk through it. And I'd just say this. Don't pressure people with too much responsibility or leadership until they've walked out some seasons of the good, bad, and the ugly. But what you do is you press them into the big responsibilities, which is Jesus and community and mission, and press them into being a disciple and being discipled and discipling others and walk that out. Walk that out. Give them opportunities to still fail and succeed in the big pictures before you start putting in, putting big responsibilities on them. Don't put leadership upon them yet. It's rocky. Let's talk about the thorns. Um, This is similar to number one, similar to the rocky, but it takes longer. It's usually not people that necessarily pop up really fast. Um, The first soil is like a flash in the pan. And I'd say that these actually hurt even more because maybe you walk with a person longer, months, maybe years, and then something happens. It appears everything's okay in their faith until, ah, until it gets difficult, until the bad happens or until the ugly happens in their life. Or that opportunity comes and the person is distracted by it and all of a sudden they're MIA. Or maybe they may come, out, come right out and just say, you know what, I'm, I've given up Christianity. I'm, I'm not a Christian anymore. And it's like, what, what do I do with that? Can somebody not be a Christian anymore? No, it's not theologically correct. That's not what the Bible says, but the Bible is talking about people that this happens. And, and I want to take a moment and just bring a segment in here for church leaders within our church, some of you who will be future leaders within our church as far as servant leaders and, and people who are disciple makers and, and, and even those that are future church planters. And maybe I know some folks that listen to these podcasts that you're, you are a church leader, you are a pastor, you're a church planter. I want to give you some, some things to warn you really quick in here. Because especially like if you're a church planter or you're, or, or you're trying to rebuild a church, man, you're just looking for anybody, anybody. You know, it's like you, you need a person with a bunch of degrees to help you out, 98.6 degrees. If anybody, if you got that many degrees, come help us out. You're, you're planting a church, man, just anybody who will jump in. This is what Paul said to Timothy about being careful 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. Which basically was like, all right, the bigger responsibilities of the people and of guarding doctrine and of knowing and, 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 and teaching and leading, leading Christians, the bigger responsibilities, don't be hasty in doing that. All the other things, man, give ministry away. Give people the opportunities to fail. But don't be quick in giving away the things that are to be guarded. You're supposed to put that in, in the hands of, of faithful people. And faithfulness is something that it means that there's long, there's long paths of footprints of faithfulness that lead you up. Not perfection, but faithfulness. People that they've walked through the good, the bad, and the ugly. They've gone through the hard seasons. And like within, within our nomenclature here, it'd be, but they, even when it's gotten hard, they, they've not rejected Jesus. They've not rejected community. They've not rejected mission. They've stayed faithful. And all of that. Also, Timothy said in 1 Timothy 3, 6-7, he must not be a recent convert. This is talking about 
uh, specifically for pastors or elders here. It says he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Which again, talks about, man, if you're going to give leadership and, and just, I mean, guarding things and guarding people, guarding a church and leading a church, you don't just put that in the hands of somebody who's charismatic and has influence. You put that in someone that they've walked out faithfulness for a long time, imperfectly, but it's been faithful. It's there. And, and again, I say, don't be cynical. Take risks with people, give them responsibility, press them into Jesus' community mission, press them into being a disciple, being discipled, discipling others, but don't put the weight of leadership and big responsibility on them too soon, all right? Because sometimes, and this is applicable obviously for for Christians, but it's effective even for those who, who maybe they... They had, some, they had some thoughts about Christ, but ultimately bail out. What's the fertile? The fertile soil, um, uh, again, among those who hear, there's different responses. I, I believe that if we're talking about, in this, this interpretation of only one of them saved, there are people that they will respond to God in their mind. It's like, all right, there's... There's things about this Christian faith or this Christian community or there's things about this mission that they're on that, man, I subscribe to. But it's not a, it's not a wholehearted um, uh, surrender to Jesus himself. It's to what they think. And I think that's many times the, the first category. I think the se- second category of the, the thorns, it's people that maybe they get emotional. They respond to relationships. you know. But it's only... It's only when there's a holistic surrender to Christ that a, a person, that, that's a proof of a real heart change that God has brought. Um, I believe this talks about what's known doctrinally as the perseverance of the saints. That ultimately, the people, that, that Christians, and this is biblical, the Christians who God changes their hearts, there is a change of heart to where you look at the long term and God does a work within him that he finishes, he completes, that there's not going to be a, an ultimate abandonment of God in, in their life uh, long term. They will persevere through it, through it all. Their faith may waver. You might, might even think that, or say that you've kind of thrown in the towel, but that doesn't last. The doubts don't remain. But faith ultimately is what keeps it. So you guys with me? You, you, um, there is a, it's a fruit that remains, including the fruit of their love for Jesus Christ. Now, be careful. I mean, don't, don't try to say, well, man, I had a horrible week last week and wasn't very faithful. I, maybe I'm not a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. We all have our doubts. We all have our struggles. We all throw the towel in a little bit or a lot at times. But those don't remain in those that God changes the hearts. He perseveres us. It's His. It's His salvation. He begins it, he keeps it, and he finishes it. Everyone struggles, the thorns and the rocks, but Jesus will ultimately save us. All right, so that's the ones only saved. Now let's talk about this interpretation that there are three that saved, but only one that has specific fruit of multiplication. Um, those that are they're on the path, uh, and I'm going I'm to give you some isms as I, as I break this down. 
And some of our isms that you've heard, some are isms you've never heard because I made them up. Um, this first one, and those that are along the path, uh, I'll, I'm going to call that Davidism. And uh, so you can, call, you can get your name and write ism at the end of it. And basically that's just saying, I don't need anything but myself. I'm okay. Thank you very much. Like you guys, you Christians and the things that you do, but, but uh, man, I'm okay. I don't need Jesus, all right? That's the people that are on the path. And it's an ultimate deception. It talks about Satan coming and stealing it immediately. And it's just like immediately, because I mean, people hear the message of God, but it's, it's like, just like back in the Garden of Eden, that very first deception, which was like, God doesn't really have your best interest at heart. You know what's best for you. It's a Davidism. It's a Jaredism. It's a Judaism. Judaism, that's pretty good. Next, the, the rocky, the rocky soil. Um, I, I just throw out again, I mean, this is, this would be, you can call this emotionalism or you call it controlism. And basically it's that I'm okay. I'm okay as long as I, I feel it or controlism. If I can see it, if I can understand it, if I can control it, then I'm, I'm okay. Right? So, the rocky, the rocky path is just like, all right, I mean, uh, many times, I mean, when you're just learning, a lot of young Christians, man, they'll sprout faster. There's so much, there's so much enthusiasm for God. They, they spring up quickly, but there's no roots yet because their roots are planted within themselves. That's what the scripture is actually saying in here is they, they, they die off because there's no root because it's within them. And that's how we are when we first get saved. It's like, well, I mean, let's go, let's roll. And it's not until those roots start getting getting deep. Um, this year when we planted uh, tomatoes, did it differently than I've ever done it before. Um, I don't know if it was my brother or my mom that told me, but they gave, they gave us some, um, they were already growing, right? So maybe they're, I think they're about maybe a foot tall. And um, whoever it was that said it, they said, look, if you just plant it in, you know, just a few inches to where you have most of that coming out of the ground, then what will happen is, is it will grow fast, it will grow tall fast, but it's not going to produce the same kind of fruit that it will unless you do what I'm going to tell you next. And this, is, this was, seemed like it was counterintuitive, but what they said was cut off, cut off most of the branches that are there. Dig that thing about to where there's just a little bit coming out of the top. Put fertilizer stuff at the bottom like you would normally, and it's going to grow slowly. And others that plant it just a little bit in the ground, you're going to be envious because their tomatoes are going to grow faster, and they're going to see some fruit faster on their vine or on their plants. But if you'll be patient, what you're going to find is all that that's under the ground is going to develop root systems that go out, and it's going to pull more nutrients in, and it's going to produce way more tomatoes, and it's going to taste better because the roots are deeper. We've got to have deep roots. And the shallow roots, just think of it this way, is I got it. I mean, I, 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 it's my strength and, and my control. But we have to say, all right, God, that's a bad root system. And it will fail quickly. And it takes time. It takes time the, the other way to just say, all right, God, I, I, I want to trust you and I want to, I want to grow deeply in you. 
But it's so worth it. There's so much more fruit if we do it. And we reject the Davidism. We reject the emotionalism. We reject the controlism. Let's talk about the, the thorns. And I'm going to, the isms I give to you is materialism and circumstantialism. That's another one I made up. Materialism, basically, I'm okay. If I have my trophies of success, got the right spouse, girlfriend, fiance, got the right job, got the right education, I'm in the right tribe of people, I got the right car, house, or live in the right neighborhood. I mean, just the list goes on, right? I mean, you got your stuff in there that you struggle with. Just put it in the blank of, of this is what I kind of struggle with. If I have these things or this kind of influence, I know that I'm okay. That's materialism. Circumstantialism, which is, again, not a word, but I'm okay with that, says I'm okay if I'm successful, if I'm healthy, as well as those around me being healthy and successful. That's how I know that I'm okay. Or that's how I know that God is good, is if circumstances are okay. And again, what happens many times in the thorn is a death occurs. It might be somebody that dies, or it might be the death of a dream, the death of a job, that opportunity, that education. You didn't get into school that, that you wanted to. Something dies within you, and you begin to doubt God as a result of that. Many times people get sick. You get sick. Somebody else gets sick. Or many or relationally, betrayal occurs. Somebody lets you down. And you're like, something's wrong with me or wrong with God because these things are happening. Circumstantialism. But the reality is, is that with this human condition that we're in, there's opportunities God gives us that when things fail around us, that we point ourselves back to the anchor, which is Jesus, who says, even though the world's broken, I love you. I love you. The fertile soil. Basically, if you compare these things, contrast them, it's where we're at a place in our life that we just say, God, my life is not about me. My life is not about my circumstances. It's about the seed, the word of God. It's about the sower. Jesus Christ, and it's about the harvest of others. To where we don't, we don't let materialism rule over us. When it happens, we just we identify it, and we confess it and repent it. You know? I, if you're in here and you're just like, oh, crap, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a materialist, I'm a circumstantialist, or I'm a Davidist, you know, I, I, it's, it's where I am right now. I, I'm a failure. No, put that out of your mind. Confess it before the Lord. And repent and believe the gospel. And I'd say confess it among one another. I mean, First John says that, if, that, that we're, we bring things in the light and that with one another and that God heals us. So don't let it just be in the darkness. Don't even let it just be between you and God. But these things, if, if, you're, if you're in a place in your life where it's the thorns that are, that are getting you, you know, these distractions in life. Or, uh, you're just like, if I could just do this, if I could just do this, if I could just have this, if I could just attain this. Man, confess that to some people around you. Just say, you know what, man, I'm, I'm struggling here. And then ask them to go before the Lord with you and pray. Surrender. Materialism. It's like, all right, man, 
I, God, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with things themselves. God made a bunch of things in this universe. There's nothing wrong with having things. The problem is when things have you. So just say, all right, God, everything that I have or you want me to have, it's to be a tool for your glory, to bless my family, to bless other people. If you have an overabundance of things, it's either for you to save it for you for later or to save for someone else for later or it's for you to give away or to share right now. The fertile soil is is about being not only a hearer, hearing the word of God, the seeds put in you, but it's to be a doer. James 1, 22 talks about this, says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Man, I, I'm just, I admit to you guys, man, I, I deceive myself at times. We, we come, we're, we're a church and we're part of a group of people that, man, we really believe strongly the word of God and theology, and I, and I do. We should. It's important. But, man, I, I certainly don't want to be a bunch of people that we just study and we know all the theologies and doctrines and all that, but we don't have much compassion for one another or the city or the world that's around us, man, I, who gives a crap, you know? We're to be not only hearers, but doers as well. And, and we're to be hearers. We are to drink in God and His Word. But those who are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the Word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Guys, uh, you know what's interesting is that... Um, Everything in this parable that was told up to that point was natural. I mean, you could identify it and all. But the people who are farmers, like if any farmers in here, you studied agriculture, and you read that, it's like the yield was 30 or 60 or 100 times. You're like, now wait a second. Because the normal would be like, a, I think they said seven to eight times would be a good yield of what you, what you put in enough for crops, enough to save to where you can plant the seeds again next year. But... 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. That is supernatural. And, and just so you know, if it's not been clear yet, the harvest is not of good works or, or uh, good theology. It's about people. It's about people who are lost coming into the family of God. That's what the, the harvest is. And so what we're to be is we're to be people that we're, we're sowing the seeds, that we don't let the thorns stop us. We don't let the... We don't let the rocky ground stop us. We don't let the Davidism stop us. We confess, we repent. But even when we're struggling, we just keep saying, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And we throw the seed. And what God's saying here is, I am going to bring a harvest. There will be. And even if we, even if we say, oh God, I'm just oh, I'm so, oh, so frustrated with me and my circumstances. God will just go boop and around you if he has to. He's going to bring the big harvest. So what we got to do is repent from, from that false humility that just says, oh, I'm so bad, or I just got all these problems. And God's like, look, it's not about you. Don't plant seeds of David. Throw the seeds of me, and I will bring a harvest. We may not even see it, but God's going to bring a tremendous harvest. Now, I mean... I mean, I'm just bring some different, I, there's a bunch of different kind of concluding applications that I want to give to you real quickly. And then we're going to pray and just confess and repent where we need to 
and then we'll respond to, to God. We're going to have communion in a minute, in a few minutes. If you're a Christian in here, you've fully surrendered to Christ, you don't have to be a member of this church to participate in it. And you're going to take the bread, people are going to serve it to you. The bread, you dip it in the, the juice or the wine, and uh, you celebrate the death, the burial, of resurrection of Christ because he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood that was poured out for you. Take it and eat it. Take and drink it. And we'll do that. We'll do that today and proclaim this great news that, that changes us. Um, it's concluding thoughts, you guys. First of all, God is in control of who ultimately hears. And again, you know, what do we, what do, we do with that? It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a challenging thought, it's challenging truth, but I, I say again to you, if you heard, if you've got the ears that you could hear and understand that, you need to thank God. You need to praise Him and say, God, I couldn't have done that by myself. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. It was Him, not you. He gave you the ears. He was the good shepherd who called your name. You heard and you came to Him. But for those of you who have not surrendered, listen, if you have never surrendered to Christ, or you believe there's lots of different paths, or whatever it is, or you just kind of say, well, yeah, I like Jesus, but I just kind of add Him to, to the plate of the other things I believe, you need to have a healthy fear of God. You need to know that you're not in control. I've, I've heard it said before um, from friends and family members. It's like, you know what? Yeah, you know what? Someday, someday it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just busy kind of living my life and kind of cat, sowing the wild oats, you know. But someday, someday, I'll, someday I think I'll come to church or I'll, I'll do that, the other. Listen, you need, you need to have some fear within you because basically your worldview is I'm in control. And Jesus, you can wait. That's not how it works. If you hear, <laughs> you need to repent. Turn your life to Christ. Even now, that's great news, and we want you in the family. We are to sow. And know this, that some will. I mean, when you tell people about Christ... Some will. Some will come. Some won't. Some will make decisions and some will hang with you for a while and then go missing in action. Love them. Go after them. But don't own their decisions either. Their faith is not based upon you. Love them. Go after them. But trust Jesus with it. Uh, the, point, the point in all this, though, is not that some will not come. Listen, please. The point in the story is not that some will not come. It's that many will. There's going to be many. A huge harvest. Many will come. None of us deserve it. Many will come. If you're a new believer in here, you're very excited about ready to chomp at the bit, or maybe you're a new church member uh, here, you should not jump right into leadership. Um, I've had guys who who are older and been in faith for a long time, and they basically said, you know what, I'll become a member here if you go ahead and give me some responsibility or give me a leadership position. I'm like, man, we, we can't do that. That wouldn't be wise. Just love Jesus, love the community, love mission, engage. You know, walk it out. Walk it out and just be faithful, and, and God will take care 
care of the rest. Um, practically, practical illustration or practical application, there's many folks who don't have clean water in this world. We've worked through Living Water International before. Um, you can travel and dig a well or you can give money and they're just getting clean water all over the place. You can work with Compassion International and the Burks. They, uh, they, they've, they've got access to these bucket filters, which are awesome uh, to, get, to get to people or to be able to provide for people, talk to them and work through Compassion International. Um, there's many people who go to bed hungry for the lack of food. Um, there's Compassion International, again, is another one that helps to feed the poor. And Manor House right here in our own, own city helps give food to the poor right here in our time in our city, plug in, do something like that. And, and I believe, the reason I'm mentioning this, like, well, okay, wow, seeds and evangelism, all that, why, why are you getting on this? I believe that this parable charges us, first of all, to share the great news of Jesus. It's about that first and foremost to evangelize, to make disciples. But that said, the metaphor is a fruit. And, and, and it's to be a part of where we meet people's needs. People's needs are met with fruit and with crops. And we should not just care for people's salvation and their, who they are spiritually, where they'll be for eternity. We should care for their earthly needs right here and right now, for water, for food, for shelter, for education. And so take that and, and I mean, if you're one that you're, you're, you're denying Davidism or, or uh, circumstantialism or materialism and the other isms, then you're going to have not only a heart for people to, to hear the word of God, but also people that they would receive the blessings of, of compassion that's around you. So plug in. Identify your soil. I mean, where are you today? I mean, I told you that. Really, my leaning is that this has more to do with us as Christians and our seasons and where we are. So where are you today? Just, I mean, own it. You know? Is it, man, is it the thorns? Is it the things that just are choking life uh, out of you because the circumstances in your life or, you know, the, the temptations, the, the, the uh, opportunities that you've got, the distractions that are in your life, is that what it is? Or is it that you're maybe impatient and just... You know, that you're, you've, you've sprung up and, and, and sometimes that kind of thing, there can be, there can be you're, you're, you're so zealous for God that all of a sudden you become critical of all the other Christians out there. It's like, well, man, I've got the zeal for God and everybody else sucks. If that's where you are, you need to own that and confess and repent as well. You need to trust, trust God, trust in His grace alone and His Christ alone. Point others to Him. So what soil are you? What do you need to repent of today? Every one of us. We, we need to identify where we're at and where there needs to be change. And you don't even have to do the change. You just need to confess it before God. You say, God, change me. And guess what? He'll show up. All right. I'm going to pray in just a second. I know it's been a, a long, uh, long message, but I just pray that the Lord just plants deeply within us and does a... a Huge life change within every one of us. Let's pray. God, um, thank you that you're patient with us. Um, thank you that you do a tremendous work within us, Lord Jesus. Um, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the, the gospel, the power of the gospel to change us, Lord. We believe in the gospel. 
We believe the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We believe that you're the only way, the only path to the Father. That there's salvation found in no other faith or other way. And Lord, we just confess that again today. And for those who, they believe that, they put their faith in you, God. In just a moment, we're going to go proclaim that to ourselves. It's one another by taking bread and dipping it in wine or dipping it in juice. And we'll just say, God, you're the only way. And I would have no hope or no salvation if it weren't for you. So, God, we thank you. We, we proclaim grace today. God, help us even now. To, uh, the invitation is for us to confess, to repent and believe. Help us now, Lord, just to say, you know what? Here are the things that I'm struggling with. God, I confess it to you. I'm going to confess it to this person and this person. We're going to pray and... and uh, going to trust you to do your work, God. Help us as we respond, Lord, uh, during this time of communion and, and singing, Lord, and, and even as we have a challenge that sets us out the door uh, to be uh, missionaries, Lord. Uh, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.